You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit kingscross.org. Um, so our speaker this morning, our preacher this, you all know him because he's been here before. I think this is the third time maybe that he's joined us. Um, Chris is the pastor of prayer and worship at the Summit Church in Raleigh. If you've been around a while, you know we're part of something called Summit Collective, which is a network of church planting churches um, that stretch all across the country. And now we have gone uh, international. I think we jumped 50 churches this year. Uh, and so we are a part of that. Chris, I think if you surveyed all of those pastors and said, who do you want to come and pour into your staff? And if you have to pick up the phone and call somebody, who would you call? Chris is going to be the name at the top of the list by something um, of a good mile, I think. Chris is married to his beautiful wife, Michelle. They have two sons, um, Hudson and Haddon, um, which have made Chris's life easier and calmer <laughs> and more peaceful. Um, and so one of the things that Chris does is he just cares for pastors well, um, but also I think if you ask Kristen in, in Kristen and I's life, he and Michelle have just been good friends. Um, so would you welcome Chris? Thank you. Well, let me just say, I'm really, really glad to be here this morning and to be with you. And I want to say this to you. You've got to love a pastor who will be that honest about his own engagement. And, uh, and you know what? I, I, you got to appreciate that because, listen, for all of us live in the same place, right? We wrestle with the same things. I love that example, Chip, because basically you're asking people, do you want to invest in the kingdom of Starbucks or the kingdom of Jesus. If that's a dilemma for you, we'd love to talk about the gospel with you when the service is over today. Um, so I, I have great privilege today of speaking on singleness. Um, and let me just say this, I'll tell it a little bit later, uh, because he said, I'm married and I have kids and all the single people in the room are like, why are you preaching on singleness? Why are you qualified to do this? Well, I was single for a very long time, Okay. So I'm really excited to have this opportunity. I've titled the message, Singleness, Is It a Gift If I Don't Want It? So I grew up in a family where gift giving was and still is a really big deal. Christmas at our house is like almost ridiculous. Like you can't even get to the tree for all the gifts. Sometimes you can't even be in the same room. It takes us hours to open all the gifts. It is so much fun. Uh, and while we like to give a lot of gifts, we are also really big Goodwill and garage sale people. At my house, you don't get props for giving the biggest gift, the most extravagant gift, the best gift, unless you got it for a steal. In fact, we play this little game. If you think you won, and by won, I mean you got an awesome gift for a really cheap price. When the person open, you're giving that to, when they open that gift, the first thing out of your mouth is, guess how much? <laughs> My grandmother, who uh, died a little over 10, 12 years ago, however, took this to a whole new level. Uh, cheap was her favorite word. One year... I got, my wife doesn't think I should share this, but I'm going to do it anyway because she's not here. Um, I got a single pair, I'm pretty sure they were used, of bikini briefs. That was the same year that my dad got a single sock. My brother-in-law got the matching sock. And while we laughed, and we still do, uh, about what she gave us, nobody took offense because we knew her. And we knew she loved us and we loved her. But is it a gift if you don't want it? I can tell you those bikini briefs never made it into my room. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 7, which is where we're going to be this morning, 1 Corinthians 7, we're not going to read the whole passage, but survey it together. 1 Corinthians 7 does say, 
that singleness is a gift. And it does offer some instruction on how and why we should act in that season of life. But behind all of that is a revelation of the heart and character of God. Friends, that's really what we should be looking for when we read the Bible. When you open up the scriptures, the first question you should ask is not what do I need to do or not do. The first question you should ask is what does this tell me about the heart and the character of God? We do need to pay attention to the wisdom, direction, and instructions that scriptures give us. But more than that... We need to see and be captivated by the revelation of the beauty and the glory of God. So what I want to show you today is that our response to singleness and really to any circumstance of life should be informed and influenced by our understanding of the character of God. Let me say that again. It's right at the top of your page. Our response to any circumstance should be informed and influenced by our understanding of the character of God. If you're responding to your circumstance without factoring in the character of God, you're going to respond wrongly. Okay? Here we go. Number one, this is what this passage tells us about the character of God. It tells us that he's a good God and he gives good gifts. Look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. I, Paul says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Look at it again. But each of you has your own gift from God. Each of you. Everybody gets gifts from God. Everybody gets a gift. Why? Why does everybody get a gift? Because it's the nature of God, the very heart of God, to give good gifts to his kids. I love the way Matthew 7, 11 says it. You know this? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids. Right, you parents? You know how to give good gifts, right? That's a simple question. Your kids are listening, right? You know how. You might not do it, but you know how. You know how to give good gifts. If you, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? It's God's nature. It's his heart to give. He's kind and compassionate Father who loves to give good gifts to his kids. He's not begrudging. It's not troublesome for him. It's actually a great delight to him. And I don't know why, but many of us, if we're honest, instinctively think of God in exactly the opposite way. From the beginning, Satan has lied to us about the character and intentions of God. And y'all, if we're honest, way too many times we believe his lies. We think God is bent on withholding from us. We actually think in our heart of hearts that he's against us. We're just waiting sometimes for the other shoe to drop. And why is that? Because we've believed the lie of Satan about the character of God. He's gracious and generous. And y'all, we need to hold on to that truth no matter what comes our way. Listen to me this morning. Single, married, whatever your circumstance, every season, every stage is a gift. You know what? Some of you this morning, you can receive that. You're embracing this season of life. You're trusting in God's plan for you. Praise God. Praise God for that. But others of you, for you, it's just hard. You're single, or you're single again, or your marriage is really, really hard. You're childless, or parenting feels like a constant struggle. Whatever it is, it just doesn't feel like a gift. And you might be wondering, why, why would God do this to me? W what is he doing? Why is he putting me through this? And I'm going to be really honest and tell you that I don't know all of why it has to be this way. But I do know something of the what he is doing. Romans 8, 
28 and 29 tell us very plainly that God is working in every detail of our lives, in every circumstance, to conform us to the image of His Son. But please don't miss this. To be conformed to the image of His Son is much more than just looking and acting like Jesus. It includes being like Jesus in relationship to God. Your heavenly Father is moving you and me toward Himself. He's faithfully working through our circumstance to bring us closer to Him. And that's a good thing. For that reason, listen, even hard, disappointing seasons are a gift. Y'all, difficulty uncovers your need for God. Being in want, yearning for something, shows you how much you need God. Being in a situation you feel inequipped to handle on your own shows you you need God. Y'all, the worst thing God could do for us is to put us in situations where we always felt sufficient and satisfied. Because we would come to believe that we don't need Him. Paul believed that. So here in 1 Corinthians 7, he called out the goodness of God's gifts. And this is what he says. Let me just say it in Chris Gaynor language. This is the CLGV, Christopher Lamar Gaynor version. Hey, I wish you all had the gift I have, the gift of singleness. Listen, you can't say that unless you find delight in that, right? I wish you all had this gift. I've seen God work. Paul said, I've seen God work in it. I trust God more because of it. But not everybody gets the same gift. Look at it again, verse 7. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. Let me say it again. Everybody gets a gift, but they're not all the same. The goal is the same, but not the gift. They may not even appear to be equal, and that's okay. I have two children. You know what they want? Equal. Equal. You know what? My wife tells me sarcasm is not an effective parenting tool, but gosh, it makes me feel better sometimes. <laughs> she, this has been several years ago. She made some cookies, homemade cookies. You know all homemade cookies are not create, created equal. If they are homemade M&M cookies, they don't have the same number of M&Ms or the same color of M&Ms, and that's important, <laughs> or the same size or shape. And we put the cookies down in front of my kids, and one of them said, um, his cookie's bigger than mine. And I just said, that's because I like him better. <laughs> I got a look that was not really encouraging. Um, listen, being single can be hard. It can be hard. I know. I know because I've been there. But you trust me. Marriage ain't all sunshine and rainbows either. You know that, right? Because you know some married people. You know some married people who are struggling to submit to each other. Listen. Paul knew that. And that's why he says in this same passage... Married people, submit to each other. Married people, avoid separation and divorce. Y'all, he didn't just say that to say it. He said it because marriage is hard. So because it's not equal, don't get tripped up. Life is hard. Life is often hard. But even in the hard seasons, God is working. He's drawing us to himself. So what do you and I do in response to that? What do we do when we don't get what we want, when our current circumstance and isn't what we wanted or our dreams for our lives don't match? Okay, here's what we do. Here's our response. We wait for him. We wait for him. One of our pastors at the summit, Brian Loritz, said this, the only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing you had. Mm. The only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing you had. You know what? Single friends, there are worse things than being single. I have some friends who wish they had waited. 
The only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing you had. I was single for a very long time. Y'all, I was 47 when I got married. And my wife was 36. It's a first marriage for both of us. Maybe that will encourage some of you. Although I'm pretty sure somebody just prayed quietly in their heart, please God, please don't make me wait that long. I'll be honest with you, for most of the 20 years of my single adult life, I was fine. I enjoyed my life. I had great friends and a lot of freedom to do fun things. I was involved in meaningful ministry, and I knew God was working in me and through me. My extended singleness was not all or even mostly sad, but there were seasons when I was not okay. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have kids. I ached for a companion. There were nights, y'all, honestly, I laid in the floor and wept. Being single was not what I had envisioned for my life. It wasn't my dream. And honestly, there were days when I was completely overcome with fear about the future. I was afraid of being alone forever. I was worried about who would take care of me when I was old. Y'all, I have two teenage boys. I'm still worried about who's going to take care of me when I'm old. And I can tell you that every time I got to that place, every time I became overwhelmed with that anxiety and that fear, the only way out of that despair came as I looked up and chose to trust the heart of God for me. If this was His choice for me, If singleness was what he had for me, I knew I would be okay. I knew he would take care of me. Listen to me. He did not spare his only son. He freely gave up Jesus for my redemption. And I believed that I could trust the heart of a God who would slay his only son for me. Your current circumstance, no matter how bad or how good it is, is not the gauge of God's heart for you. Listen to me. Even your prosperity, even your blessing, even the good life that you enjoy is not the gauge of God's heart for you. Jesus on the cross... Jesus exiting the tomb. Jesus at the right hand of God, ever living to intercede for you. That's the revelation of God's heart for you. So trust his heart and wait for him because he's a good God and he gives good gifts. But what else does this passage teach us about God? Number two, it teaches us that he is sovereignly working for our good. Look at verse 17. Nevertheless, Paul says, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to him, just as God has called them. Okay, wait a minute. Hang on just a second. What does that mean? The situation the Lord has assigned to them. These verses seem to imply what Scripture declares over and over. God is sovereign over all. All things. That means he's in control. He's in charge. God is sovereign over all things. Paul's speaking specifically about marriage and singleness. But y'all, this is a universal truth that we can apply to every part of our lives. Your current situation is not random. Eli Lilly is lying To the American public. Your body was not randomly assigned to you at birth. Anybody cringe when that commercial comes on? Come on, people. If you work for Eli Lilly, I'm sorry. It's not. Your current situation was assigned to you by God. The state of singleness isn't just a gift. It's an assignment. Singleness is not a curse. It's not punishment or retribution. It's not aimless wandering in the wilderness waiting to enter the promised land of marriage. God has intentionally chosen this season for His purposes in your life. If you're single this morning, then you can be pretty confident that God has called you to be 
single this morning. Married friends, I do need to say this to you. Please stop trying to encourage single people by saying stupid stuff like, I know Mr. Wright's out there somewhere. You just haven't found him yet. You don't know that. You don't know that. Singleness might be God's good plan for their life. And if so, it's a good plan. So stop. It's not helpful. It's not encouraging. And I'm going to warn you, if you keep walking up to singles at weddings and saying junk like, your day's coming, they just might start walking up to you and saying the same thing at funerals. Look, all of us need to remember, especially when we're disappointed and struggling. All of us, everybody in the room needs to remember, especially when we're disappointed and struggling, that God is sovereignly working for our good. If you've got kids, you know this. It's not your kids' good to give them everything they want right when they want it. And nothing can thwart what God intends to do. Y'all, I've memorized these verses. I need them. Psalm 33, 10 and 11. The Lord thwarts, the, foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. His purposes through all generations. Y'all, you need to know that. You need to know that. God is over everything. He's in control. I'll be honest, y'all. I don't know how to reconcile his sovereignty and goodness with the realities of living in a sinful and broken world. I don't. There's things I don't understand about it. I don't know how to always reconcile it in my mind. But just because I don't understand it doesn't make it untrue, right? There's a lot of things I don't understand. Laws of science. Mathematic formulas. Lord, we're trying to do pre-algebra. And I'm like, I forgot this stuff. I don't understand where that parenthesis goes and the exponent and what that means and X and Y. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand how a woman thinks. <laughs> but my lack of understanding doesn't make it wrong. It's not untrue because I can't explain it. Listen, if we're going to walk with God, then we're going to have to let go of the need to understand. Doesn't the scripture tell us that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge, know him and he'll make your path straight. It doesn't say your path is made straight because you understand it. It doesn't say it's made straight because it looks straight. It says it's made straight by the Lord and whether it looks crooked or not, it's straight. Come on. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? What's our response to that? Well, we rest in his sovereignty. We rest in his sovereignty. Y'all, it's a good thing that God's in control. I, I'm a firstborn. I'm a type A. I'm a musician. I'm an artist. I like to be in control or at least have the illusion of thinking that I'm in control. But y'all, it's a good thing that I'm not in control. It's a good thing. There's great peace in resting in the sovereign goodness of God and learning to be content. Paul said in Philippians 4, verses 12 and 13, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, whether single and hoping for a spouse or not. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Y'all, we have so jacked up that verse. It does not mean you can win a baseball game because God gives you strength. It means you can live through faithfully any season of life because God is with you. Paul experienced seasons of need and seasons of abundance. Was that just random? Was it just luck? Was it his fault when he didn't have enough to eat and to his credit when he had plenty? No. 
No, the circumstances of Paul's life were under divine authority. And every situation was purposefully assigned to him by God. And what did Paul say he learned? He learned the secret of contentment. He learned to be satisfied and at peace, even in want or need. Singleness is an opportunity to learn contentment. Now listen to me. Contentment is not the same thing as not lacking. It's not the same thing as not wanting. It's not the same thing as not being in need. It's not being satisfied with my circumstance. Listen. It's being satisfied in any circumstance because God is with me. That's why the psalmist David would say, even even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I feel like I'm not going to be stressed. I'm not going to be filled with anxiety. I'm not going to be discontent. I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death faithfully and confident because God is with me. Goodness, somebody needs to hear that this morning. Listen to me. Whatever your situation is, God is enough. His presence is sufficient. You don't need something else. You need Him. I love the prayer of Psalm 90, verse 14. This is one I pray often. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love so that we might sing for joy and be glad all our days. I've memorized that verse because I need to pray that. I need to say that to God. God, satisfy me this morning with your unfailing love so that today and every day I can be filled with joy and gladness and sing your praise. It doesn't say satisfy me with everything I ever thought I wanted. The cry is to learn to be satisfied with the love of God at the beginning of the day. Listen. If you and I don't learn to be satisfied with the love of God for us, if it doesn't cause us to be filled with joy and gladness, then no circumstance or the love of another person will ever be enough. If you can't be satisfied with God, you can't be satisfied with anything. Ask God to open your eyes to see and know how long and high and wide and deep is his love for you. Bask in that great love. Surrender to his sovereignty. Rest in it. And learn the secret of contentment. God's good. And he gives good gifts. God is sovereign over our lives and purposeful in the details. He's working sovereignly for our good. The third thing we need to learn about God from this passage is this. He is the God of eternal hope. He's the God of eternal hope. Look at verses 29 to 31. Paul says, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live live as if they did not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to get. Wait a minute. That is, excuse me? That's like super confusing. I have a wife, but I'm supposed to act like she's not there. That will not go very well for any of us, okay? Can I just say that? I'm supposed to mourn, but act like I'm not mourning. I'm supposed to be happy, but not like I'm not happy. I'm supposed to have stuff, but act like I don't have it. That makes no sense. No sense at all to me. But wait a minute. There's more. Verse 31. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. All right? Verse 31 is your key to understanding what he's saying here. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. Here's what Paul's advocating for. He's reminding them and us not to be captivated and controlled by the things of this world, even the good things. Because it's all passing away. He's telling us, do not set your hope on anything in this world. Your marriage, your marriage, your singleness are not eternal. Your mourning 
Even your happiness is temporary. Your stuff is not going with you into eternity. So don't get engrossed. Don't get captivated. Don't be controlled by any of it. And for goodness sake, don't let it lead you to despair when you feel like you're missing out. Jesus is better than anything life can give and death can take away. You might want to write that down. Jesus is better than anything life can give and death can take away. I need to be reminded of this every day because I often get caught up in temporal things. Y'all, I love stuff. I love nice stuff. I tell people all the time, I, I believe I was, I was created for luxury and comfort. <laughs> but listen, y'all, the things of the world are not eternal. As beautiful and wonderful as this world is, there's a better one coming. If you miss out on something here, you ain't going to miss out on it in eternity. As hopeful as the possibilities might be for a good life here, there is a more secure and certain hope. The best things we can enjoy here and now don't even compare with what's to come. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 5.19, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. If that's it, if my hope in Jesus is just for the good life here, the American dream, the wife, the little house with the picket fence and the 2.5 kids or 1.5 or 1.7, whatever it is now, if that's it, I need to be pitied. That's not God's purpose in redeeming me. It's just to give me a good life on earth. Listen, ours is a God of eternal hope. And if that's true, then what are we supposed to do while we wait? Well, here's your response. You cultivate eternal hope. You cultivate eternal hope. All of us this morning are either cultivating hope or nursing despair. You're either cultivating hope or nursing despair. We're either dreaming about the possibilities or caught up in negative rumination about the disappointments. And no matter which way you lean, the call of God is to set our hope on things eternal. That's why Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. It's why Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven and not on earth. I'm going to be really blunt with you. You can't do that without regular time spent in the word of God. Listen to me, 60 minutes in here on Sunday is not going to cultivate eternal hope in you when you live the other 8,562, however many hours it is in the day or minutes, but fixed on the things of the world. You are bombarded with images that say, this is hope, this is good, this is what you need. If you don't get into the Word of God, you will never be able to break free of bondage to the world and this notion that your hope is in this life. And look at me. Please don't. Please don't. Don't even come up here and tell me, well, you know, I would. I would, but I just don't have time. No, you got time. You just, gotta have, a whole, you just have a whole lot of other things you think are more important. When you come to tell me you don't have time, bring your phone already opened up to screen time and show me that. Show me how much time you spent texting everybody in the world. You, rather, you need to talk to them more than you need to talk to Jesus. You need to hear from them more than you need to hear from God. Show me FaceTime, Instagram, whatever it is. Facebook. I call it fake book. It ain't real, people. Listen, what you read and listen to and look at is what fills your mind and heart. And what fills your mind and heart is what fuels either hope or despair. Let me tell you this morning, if you are feeling desperate, in despair, hopeless, then stop what you're doing and do something else. And the something else you need to do needs to start with daily time spent in the Word of God. 
Listen, you can't set your mind on things above without engaging in in community and talking about the things of God. That's why you need to be in a small group, a community group. It's why you need to do Bible study together. It's why you guys need to have coffee and talk about what God's doing in your life. It's why you need to uncover the dark places of your heart and confess your sins to one another. Because you need to be set free of the things of the world. And the world's not going to help you break free. You're only going to break free as you are connected to the body of Christ. It's why you need to be here every week. This business is showing up every, one every three Sundays. It's for the birds. You're not going to, you wonder, you wonder why you don't know and feel the hope of God in your life. Because you're not looking for it. You're not searching for it. You're not seeking after it. You need to be connected to the body. You need to be committed here. You need to be involved. You need to be serving. Because all of that, all of that works to turn your heart towards the things of God and away from the things of the world. Do you know why God said to the children of Israel, six days you'll work and on the seventh day you'll rest? Do you know why? Because if they worked all seven days, they would believe that their work was necessary for life. They had to rest to remind themselves that they weren't making life happen. God was. Ain't nobody said amen to that. Well, goodness. All right. Listen. You can't cultivate eternal hope without turning your heart toward God in worship. It's why you need to come in here and sing. I don't care whether you can sing or not. I don't care whether you like the songs or not. I don't care. It doesn't matter. You need to tell your heart, worship God. Focus on God. Sing the truth of God. The people around you who feel desperate and hopeless need to hear you call out the truth of God. They're not examining how good you sing. They don't care. They need to hear you delight in God. God wants to hear you delight in Him. Y'all, sometimes I, I, listen, I'm a musician. I've been a worship pastor for 36 years. There are songs I don't like. They don't resonate with me. They're hard to sing. I just don't want to sing them. I'd rather sing the stuff I like. Anybody else in the room? See, y'all would go so quiet. (laughs) Can you imagine, can you imagine getting to heaven and standing before God the Father? And he goes, why didn't you worship me? And you legit going to look at him and say, well, I would have, but I really didn't like the songs. <laughs> it ain't about the songs. <laughs> All right, I'll try to stop shouting. <laughs> Listen, your heart is going after whatever you set your mind on. And if you want a heart that's filled with eternal hope, then you're going to have to discipline yourself to think about the things of God. Quit listening to that business podcast and get on a podcast that fills your heart with the desires and the things of God. Stop listening to secular radio all the time. It's fine, listen to some of it. But tune in and listen to the songs of the people of God declaring the truth of God. Stop watching all that crap on television. And watch and listen to something that fills your heart with the things of God. Stop perusing Instagram and Facebook and looking at HGTV and cultivating a heart of covetousness and lust and desire. And look at the things of God and cultivate a heart that's filled with eternal hope. All right, I said I was going to stop shouting, but I didn't. All right. Number four, he's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of our devotion. Verse 32 to 38. I'd like for you to be free from concern, Paul says. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, 
but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Y'all, that's the goal, undivided devotion. Marriage is a good thing. Children are blessings from the Lord. Both are opportunities to experience and express gospel love, but they aren't the only good things or even ultimate among the blessings of life. Don't forget that Jesus was single and childless. Paul's not dissing on those who are married. He's not saying that single people are more spiritual than married people. What he is doing is showing us that God is worthy of our devotion in every stage of life. Husbands and wives are supposed to love and serve one another because God is worthy. They're called to submit to each other. Ephesians 5.21, out of reverence for Christ. Likewise, God is worthy of the single person's undivided, wholehearted devotion. He's worthy. So Paul says, live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now listen to me. Devotion is intentional and active. It's a choice. Being devoted to something doesn't just happen to you. It's not involuntary. You're either devoted to something because you chose to be devoted to something. Some of y'all are devoted to Clemson football. Some of y'all are devoted to the Gamecocks. Some of you are devoted to all your job. You're devoted to all kinds of things. It's not involuntary. You chose that. You expend energy and effort and time and money because you chose. And if you're going to be devoted to Jesus, then you got to choose it. And he's worthy of it. So what do you and I do? We pursue wholehearted devotion. We go after it. We chase it. We run after it. We discipline ourselves to be devoted to God. 1 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15 says this, For Christ's love compels us. There's your motivation. There's your motivation for pursuing wholehearted devotion. Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, listen, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The call for us is to stop living for ourselves and live for the Lord and his bride. And y'all, that applies to every follower of Jesus. We prove our devotion to Christ by the way we serve each other. So single brothers and sisters, let me say a few things, very direct things to you this morning. Write these down. You ready? Okay, a couple of you are. Rest of you go wait and see if they're any good. All right. One, fight selfishness and serve others. Listen, y'all, I was single for 20 years. It's awfully easy to be selfish as a single and hide it. Because nobody's living up under it. Trust me, I did it very cleverly sometimes. You do what you want to when you want to. You spend all your money on yourself. You don't commit to anything because you might get a better offer. Married people, that's why single people won't tell you on Monday if they'll come to your house on Friday. Because they got four more days to get a better offer. <laughs> I just called them all out and they're going to be mad with me about that. Listen, y'all, it's easy to just live for yourself. As a single person, it's easy to live for yourself, to think it's all about you. So stop. Give yourself away for Jesus' sake. Number two, use your spiritual gift. Single person, look at me. You are not incomplete as a single. You are not lacking. God has given you a spiritual gift for the good of the body of Christ. So figure out what it is, develop it, and use it for the glory of God and the good of the church. Number three, invest in future generations. Listen, just because you don't have kids, biological kids, your own kids, just because you don't have kids doesn't mean you can't have spiritual children. Listen, before I got married, we had tons of college students come to our church. And uh, I had three, 
three kids. I got connected to them. They started singing in the choir their freshman year in college. They were, with, they were, my, they were my boys for four years. They called me Papa Chris, and I called them my three sons. I did all kinds of things with them. I invested in them, and I poured into them. And let me tell you something. Where they are today, what God is doing in their life today, I believe is at least in part because of the investment I made in them. And you know what's great about that? I got children. I didn't have to pay for them to go to college. So adopt you some kids that belong to somebody else, that pay all the bills, invest in them, and just say they're yours. All right? Married friends, let me say some things to you. One, invite single people into your life and your family. Have them over for dinner. Let them be a part of your family outings and fun traditions. Allow them to see the joys and the struggles of marriage and parenting. Invite them in to your life, not just to babysit. Don't ask them to babysit until you've had them over for the sake of having them over at least five times. Some of y'all aren't interested in single people except how you can use them. And you know what? They know that. It may be why they don't show up at your house uninvited. Because they're scared to death you're going to run out the door and leave them with your kids. (laughs) And some of y'all, that's exactly what you would do. Number two, value them as a part of the body of Christ. Listen, help them find a place to serve. Invite them into your service. Respect their voice. Listen to them. You know single people can hear from God. How about Paul? Wrote 13 books in the New Testament. Single. I think God can speak through single people. Listen to them. Encourage their contribution to the life of the church. Let me tell you something. I think sometimes we're afraid of single people. This is not my script, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've been a pastor for 36 years. We have more moral failures among married people than we do among single people. From where I stand, it's not the single people we need to worry about. It's the married people. So value them. Trust them. Invite them in. Let them serve. Number three, invest in singles. Listen, God uses single people. So walk with them. Pour into them. Speak truth to them. Pray for them. Help them believe in what God wants to do in them and through them. Y'all, we all have a part in building each other up and calling each other to live in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in in response to the character of God. So let me end where we started. Our response to the circumstances of life should be informed and influenced by our understanding of the character of God. I have two boys. We already told you that. They're 13 and 14. In case you're trying to do the math from earlier, I'm 63 with a 14-year-old. Who thought that was a good idea? I mean, there's days I just say, God, I'm too, I am too old for this. Like, these should be my grandchildren. I should be able to send them back to somebody else. <laughs> Let me just say this. Uh, parenting middle schoolers is way harder than being single ever was. But anyway, my boys don't generally respond to no very well, especially my oldest. I mean, he's convinced that I exist to give him what he wants, when he wants it, how he wants it, and where he wants it. He even told me that. And sometimes my refusal to give them everything they want leads to a, just, we'll call it a passionate discussion. And sometimes when we get embroiled in that tug of war, and I know that I'm not going to be able to win the argument, I stop it. And I ask them four questions. I ask them this, do you know that I love you? Do you know that I love you? The second question I ask them is this, have I done enough for you to know that I'm for you and not against you? Can you honestly survey the way I've treated you 
and deduce that I'm actually in your corner and not against you. I say to my 14-year-old all the time, son, I'm your friend, not your enemy. I'm for you. I'm not against you. The third question I ask in this, and this is the hardest one for them to answer in the affirmative, can you admit that I know some things you don't know? And the fourth question I ask them is this. Will you trust me? Y'all, and every time, every time I feel the Holy Spirit tap me on the shoulder and say, do you, do you know that I love you? Do you know that I love you? Have I done enough for you to know that I'm for you and not against you? Can you admit, can you admit, Chris, that I know some things you don't know? I see some things you don't see. I understand some things you don't understand. Will you trust me? Y'all, I want my kids to respond out of an understanding of my character and my commitment to them, even when they don't like what I do. And this morning, brother and sister in Christ, your heavenly father wants the same thing from you. He wants you to respond to your circumstance and situation out of your understanding of his character and his commitment to you. Let's pray together. God, help us today to see you clearly, to know and believe that you are who you say you are, and you do what you say you do. God, give us as your children the capacity to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love for us. And God, would you help us by the power of your spirit to respond to our singleness, to our marriage, to any circumstance and situation in our lives out of our knowledge and belief of who you are. God, help us today. In Jesus' name, Thanks for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by the Word of God today. Take a moment to click the subscribe button on your screen, and you won't have to come searching for us next time. Until then, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.